0: and businesses they lead. You might even know their faces. But do you know why they are Difference Makers? I'm Adam Van Bremer, the editorial page editor of the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com. Welcome to Difference Makers, a podcast dedicated to sharing stories and insights from Savannah's key players, the men and women who lead our city in commerce, in arts and culture, in philanthropy, in government, and in education. Homelessness is widely acknowledged as one of the most difficult to address issues in the Savannah area. Chatham County's homeless population tops 4,000, and approximately a quarter of those citizens are children. Our homeless camps are a regular topic of conversation, and panhandling downtown causes much consternation. But much of the homelessness in our community is of the variety that we don't see. People whose lives have been disrupted by a sudden loss of income or other unexpected circumstances. Katrina Bostic is one of the few leaders in our community with a thorough understanding of homelessness. As the Executive Director of Family Promise, She works with churches and a network of volunteers to assist low-income families and help them achieve lasting independence. To these men, women, and children, she is truly a Difference Maker. We're pleased to be joined today for Difference Makers by Katrina Bostick, Executive Director of Family Promise. Before we dive real deep into what Family Promise is and does, Katrina, let's talk a little bit about you first, a little biographical information. I understand that that you're a Savannah native and, and obviously i have been in town for a long time. Yes. And I was hoping you could kind of clue us into what it was like growing up here and, and just share a little bit about your, your background. Okay.
1: Um, as you said, I am a Savannah native, born and raised here. Um, I was educated in the public school system. Uh, the majority of my family still resides in the Savannah area. My maternal family was... Uh, Raised on the east side of town, Mm -hmm. and my paternal family uh, grew up on the west side of town. So I pretty much grew up, you know, all over Savannah. I just remember as a child, just being able to enjoy Savannah, enjoy the streets. We would go out and we would play, and it was it was different. It was a different time there. You know, children were actually able to be children, and it was a community that really raised all of us. Um, the majority of my childhood was spent um, in the West Savannah area, so I um, am very fond of that area. We actually, I actually grew up on Britney Street, so <laughs> I am very fond of. West Savannah and you know I'm glad that there is some growth that's coming to that district so between uh West Savannah Stiles Avenue Cloverdale Carver Village area Mm -hmm. um that's where I did a lot of you know that was kind of my stomping ground Mm -hmm. um I graduated from Savannah High class Mm -hmm. of 93 so Mm -hmm. this is our 25th year so um you know I'm a blue jacket for life
0: there
1: you go um As far as my education, um, I received uh, my BS in business management from Reinhardt University in the Atlanta area, Mm -hmm. and I actually lived in the Atlanta area for a couple of years, but um, it was just too fast-paced for me. Mm -hmm. Um, City girl, but small city, not big city. city, (laughs) I can go and visit, but, you know, Savannah's my home, Mm -hmm. and um, for the the early part of my, my work years, I was in banking. Mm-hmm. Um, I did that for probably about 6-7 years I worked with a couple of credit unions in the Savannah area and in the Atlanta area uh, relocated back to this area about 2001 mm-hmm. to um, expand uh, my mom's small business right. she has a child care business we have a child care business in, in the area in Savannah right. Right. so I came back in 2001 to expand that and um, I began working in that field for probably about 13-14 years
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um Just working with the children, uh, one of the things that I did notice, uh, the majority of our families were um, high poverty. They were impoverished families, and it just became disheartening for me to work with them, you know, day after day, um, and then send them back home at night to chaos. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I knew there was something that I I could do, that I wanted to do, but I wasn't necessarily sure what. Mm -hmm. But... um, you know, I stumbled across you know social work. Decided to go back to Savannah State to pursue my social work degree, and um, I received my BSW from Savannah State University in uh, 2014, and went on to uh, pursue my MSW, which I received in 2015 from Valdosta State University. Mm-hmm. So, um,
0: before we dive too deeply into that, I mm-hmm. want to back you up a little bit. So, sure. you're you're working with kids yes. in Savannah and childcare. Yes, you as you. Alliterated, you came from a, a working middle class mm-hmm. family, yes, where everybody was probably in their own home and the everybody doors was in were their open home, they and, were
1: self sufficient, they right. were independent. Um, so a lot of the things that I experienced while working with the children, um, in our child care system, I really wasn't exposed to growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I never really had to worry about, you know where my next meal was coming from if I came home and the utilities were connected um, those were things that I did not have to worry about those were things that I really didn't see a lot of so I wasn't exposed to a lot of the pressures and the trauma that a lot of the children that we were working with um, were exposed to Mm -hmm. Um, I can remember times when you know we would get children on Monday and they would just eat and eat and eat mm-hmm. and it's like oh my goodness i don't think they ate all weekend right um we would have to bathe children um we would have to you know do hair and kind of prepare them for school and it's not that the families that we were working with were not working mm-hmm. um the majority of the families that we work with these were single mothers and they were working two and three jobs right just really to make those to make the ends meet so I understood as a single parent the um the struggles of you know trying to be a parent, trying to be there for your child, but having to make sure that um they have what they need, trying to make sure that you know you're at work and when you're you go to work, you perform and you're you're um you're at your best level, but a lot of times you know the parents that that we encountered um they have been through a lot, mm-hmm. you know um life had kind of, you know, dealt a lot of them a bad hand, and they weren't able to parent as effectively as they probably wanted to. So, you know, the the Child Care Center became their support system.
0: Right. So you've had that experience, you're looking at what you want to do next in your career, you you pursue social work, while you're going through your assessments and your other things in order to get your degree—that's where you came across what is now known as Family Promise.
1: Correct? Yes, yes. Um, in 2013, uh, we have to go through field placement, and this mm-hmm. was my year to go through field placements. This was my senior year, and I remember speaking with um, my field instructor, and we were doing the assessments on which populations we want to work with and which populations we did not want to work with. Mm-hmm. So, of course, because I've always had. Um, a a heart for families with children of course that's that's the population that i I chose to work with and um you know i told him there were two that i didn't want to work with did not want to work with homeless people Mm -hmm. and i did not want to work with sex offenders Mm -hmm. so um of course he tried his hardest to make sure that that happened um i went to another social service agency i was there a couple of weeks but it just wasn't a good fit for for myself or the agency so um I had to be moved, but there was really not another placement for me. So for about six weeks, I was just out of a placement. Um, I, you know, my assignments started to get behind, and I really needed to get somewhere. So I remember he called me and he said, um, "I need you to go to Interfaith." So I'm like, "What's Interfaith?" And he was like, "It's a homeless shelter," and I was like, "I don't want to do that." You know, I told you, you didn't want to work with homeless people, but I'll go because, you know, I have anywhere. You know, I don't have a placement, so um, I went. I got a tour of the facility, and then I went in and spoke with the ED, and, you know, as we're talking and, you know, just, you know, filling each other out and finding out this is going to be a good fit for me, um, you know, she asked, you know, do you have any questions? And, of course, my first question, first thing that popped in my mind was, okay, so we're the homeless people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she was like, what do you mean we're the homeless people? And I was you know, I didn't see any homeless people. Mm-hmm. She said, they they are all around the building. You know, our families, these are the homeless people. Mm-hmm. And it dawned on me that, you know, it's not the person that's standing on the corner mm-hmm. or the person that's in the camp mm-hmm. um, or the person that's addicted to drugs or alcohol. Is families it's children it was children that I encountered for the last 13 14 years in child care but just didn't know just didn't know the signs I didn't see the signs and um, it was during that time that's when I fell in love with homelessness mm-hmm. um, because I was able to bridge you know my passion for families with children with my newfound passion for the homeless population to bridge those two things together it it was magical right. and um I just kind of never left. (laughs) Right. Right. So, I finished out my placement there. Um, During that time, uh, I created the aftercare program for Family Promise, which uh, just kind of evolved into something that our national affiliate picked up. So it was a program that was implemented in Family Promises um, across the nation. Um, Once I, as I was matriculating through my. MSW program I would still come back and volunteer and just you know work with Ms. Brown and the rest of the team to just you know strengthen the programs that were there. Uh, we went through the name change I was there for that in 2015. And once Interfaith I Interfaith
0: Hospitality to Family right, Promise. From
1: Interfaith Hospitality um, Network to Family Promise of Greater Savannah. Okay. So um, after I graduated with my MSW in 2015 I returned mm-hmm. and Just did more volunteer work and just continued to work with the agency. And um, maybe about October of 2015, um, Ms. Brown announced that she was leaving to pursue another uh, career opportunity Mm -hmm. out of state. Mm -hmm. And she asked if I would um, consider coming on as interim. And of course, I was like, no, I don't want to do that. You know, I had made plans and I was in the process of Creating a five hundred one c three for at risk group home for teens, Mm. and that's kind of what I was working on, and you know that's what I wanted to do. And she said, you know, I just want you to try it. Um, You know, she talked to my board chair, and I had a conversation with him, and you know, I said, let me pray about it, let me see, and of course, you know, um, God will put you where He wants you to go. That's right. He'll definitely put you where He wants you to go, and that's where He placed me and. You know, it's been history since then. It's been rewarding ever since. It has been.
0: You mentioned earlier that Family Promise Interfaith Hospitality was a homeless shelter. But yes. I don't think it's exactly the, it's what not. most people think of when they think of homeless shelter. It's Can you not. kind of talk about what it is exactly and it's how it works?
1: Um, we are categorized as a homeless shelter. But um, for me, when I think about our program, it's a short-term stabilization program. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the stigma of when people hear homeless shelter or emergency shelter, they think about, you know, dorm style facilities with beds all over the place and mm-hmm. um no security unkept. But um what makes our program so neat so unique, what makes Family Promise so unique is we partner with over twenty churches in the Savannah Chatham County area that provide the shelter and the meals for our families. So our families are actually living out in the community in churches one week at a time, 365 days a week. Mm-hmm. So um, we typically work for, with three to four families at a time, It's so a small number of individuals, and each church provides um, private accommodations for that family. Mm-hmm. So you're not in a dorm-style um, type setting. You're actually in a, a room that they've converted, whether it's a choir room or a nursery or a, um, a Bible study room. Yeah, right. They can com- they convert those rooms into private accommodations for our families to live in for a week.
0: Right now, the volunteers of the church will cook, will Same. spend time with the mm-hmm. kids, will what you kind of talk about the experience? for
1: So um, our volunteers, uh, and we have probably over 500 volunteers that we work with, but they are what makes this program so unique. Our volunteers give our families the love and the hospitality that they so desperately need when they are at their lowest. Mm -hmm. They give them the opportunity to rest. They may take the children off while they do... uh, you know they may have activities they have activities planned for the children while they're there so it could be a game night it could be a study session um, it could be where they all to get together and read books but the volunteers give our families something that a lot of them don't have the opportunity to get during a, a, a normal day mm-hmm. um, they prepare the meals for our families uh, they pre- prepare the living accommodations for them they give them um, the opportunity to network mm-hmm. and to be exposed to individuals that they, nine times out of 10, would not come in contact with. Right, cause so, it's all over,
0: right? It's, it's all over. The islands, we're downtown, on, the on.
1: Uh, we have side three, side. three churches on Tabi that we work with. We have about three or four churches on Wilmington Island. Um, we're in Midtown, Downtown, Southside. We are all over Savannah. Mm-hmm. So it gives them, it gives our families an opportunity to build a resource that they typically would not have a resource in. When I think about poverty, oftentimes you know people will think about money and how money could move someone out of a impoverished state. And oftentimes it's not always about money. It's about those connections and those resources that families are able to build once they come into our program. And that's one of the things that make Family Promise so unique. Is a mom or dad or children would come in contact with someone that they would never meet outside of, you know, maybe passing them in a grocery store or seeing them in a school setting or a medical facility. But oftentimes they don't have that opportunity to meet individuals, you know, to help them bridge out of poverty.
0: How do, back up a little bit, how do families come into Family Promise? Is it a referral situation?
1: Yes, there are several ways that families can come into our program. They're referred from school, the school system, um, from other social service agencies, from United Way 211, um, from churches. Um, they can do self-referrals where they call in and um, let us know their, their situation. So they have several different avenues that they can get to us.
0: And the only requirement is that they have children under the age of 18? Children under
1: the age of 18. Yeah. There are no income requirements. Um, as long as they have children under the age of eighteen, they qualify for our program.
0: And some are working, some are not. I understand that, that Family Promise can help with the resources for. Yes, for
1: yes. Um, the majority of our families that do come into the program, they are working. So, but for those families that are not working, um, we connect them with th- the different agencies in our community that could help them. You know, whether it's get employment, um, we have a lot of uh, agencies that we work with. You know, very closely. To make those appropriate uh, um, referrals to uh, for families to help them get employed, um, we also assist them with um, obtaining housing. Um, whether it's their GED or an, a trade that they are seeking, we you know re- we can always attempt to navigate those waters for them and help them you know work through the process of becoming independent and self-sufficient again. Mm-hmm.
0: So stay at the churches at night during the day you have a facility of your own, right?
1: Yes, we have our day center, and and that's what I typically call our hub. So families, um, when they are not working or if it's an off day for them and on the weekends, they are at our day center, and in our day center we have a full showering facilities for those churches that don't have showering facilities. We have uh, full laundry facilities so families are able to launder their, co- their, their clothing because that is an expense that oftentimes people don't think about when mm-hmm. it comes to um, households, um, you know, just laundering your, your clothing. We also have a computer room for them to look for housing, uh, look for employment. We have a computer room for the adults as well as the children. We have on-site child care. So for families who, um, for children that are not in school or during the summertime, uh, we have our foster grandparents through our partnership with EOA that will um, assist with child care Monday through Friday from 8 to 5. Mm. Um, and then we have our case managers there, and our case managers are there to help our families navigate through those waters Um, each family is gone they do a 19 point um assessment so that we can determine what their needs are and then once that assessment is completed then we help them navigate those waters to um to housing
0: right so you talked a lot about the experience for the families Mm -hmm. what about the experience for the volunteers what do you hear or see that they get out of being a part of
1: for our volunteers, I think a lot of them get to experience and connect to individuals that they wouldn't come in contact with, and they get to see, you know how our families are. They get to see what I saw a completely different perception of what homelessness is. Mm-hmm. it's It's children. Mm-hmm. It's children that don't have a voice. Mm-hmm. They don't vote. They can't pay bills. They don't have an opportunity to make those decisions, and they weren't asked to be here. Mm -hmm. So they get an opportunity to change a life of a child Mm -hmm. and to see, you know, once I cook that meal, once I prepare that meal, oftentimes when we feed families, you know, when we have uh, things out in the park and we feed families, we have no idea where they're going once they walk off from us. Mm -hmm. But being a part of the the family promise network they're able to feed a family they know that family for that week has a place a clean safe place to sleep mm-hmm. they know that they have the resources that they need and they're able to provide those things for them and uh-huh. it gives churches an uh, opportunity to do mission work right here in their home they don't have to go to a third world country they can do it right here in their city
0: yeah so that's, that's often overlooked it is Challenges and barriers. I know that there's there's probably a lot, but can mm-hmm. you kind of walk us through a couple that you frequently encounter?
1: For families? Mm-hmm. One of the main barriers that we've seen in our community is um, affordable housing, workforce housing. There are several different ways that uh, you can name it, but housing for individuals who don't make lot of money Mm -hmm. you know who are living on a minimum wage so um, that's a huge barrier for our families another barrier for our families is child care the inability to afford child care and we have transportation which is also a barrier mental health is a barrier that keeps families from maintaining houses oftentimes you know i think a lot of people feel if we just get them in a house let's just get them in a house and that'll change everything um and you can get them in a house Mm -hmm. but the question is are they able to maintain that house once they get into that house so we need to make sure that once they get in the house that they have those resources to maintain that that house Mm -hmm. and that's you know one of the biggest things that we continue to do when we're working with our families Um, another barrier would be uh Education Mm -hmm. and the lack of education Um, a lot of our families come in they they don't have a GED They want to pursue that they want to get their GED so that they can go on to do different things But because they have to work two and three jobs um, And then they still have to be a parent They don't have a lot of time to pursue that so that is a barrier Um, Another barrier is probably a working wage mm-hmm. a livable wage mm-hmm. um, you know the majority of the families that we work with they make about mm, average nine 950 an hour mm-hmm. um, in our community to afford a house in our area you have to be making at least 13 14 well mm-hmm. let me back up the last time I checked it was 17 dollars and 10 cents to afford a two-bedroom apartment in savannah wow so if you're making minimum wage
0: yeah you better work two jobs right
1: 80 hours a week at least 80 hours
0: a week
1: at least 80 hours a week
0: yeah
1: but who's raising your children then that question comes into play
0: right
1: so it's a lot of different variables as to you know what could cause a family to go into you know to have about a homelessness. Yeah,
0: and for all that, I know you had told me earlier that the average stay is only thirty-two days. About thirty-two days. Most of your families go into housing and not just and not public housing, nope. but actual fair market value housing. Yes. What, uh what's the is there a magic uh, sauce? <laughs>
1: I'll tell you the magic sauce. The magic sauce is we've been able to connect with landlords who understand and who have an empathetic heart. Mm -hmm. And they're willing to give our families that second chance. Mm -hmm. And because they know that we're continuing to work with them, that um, we're working with them on how to be a good tenant on how to advocate for themselves, Mm -hmm. on how to make sure that, you know, your bills are paid on time, that you're taking Mm -hmm. care of the property. Um, If there is an issue, the landlord has someone to connect to, to say, okay, I need you to find out what's going on with this, um, with this tenant, and then the tenant also has the same thing, Mm -hmm. you know this is what's going on with this property. Could you talk to the landlord for us? And for us, it gives us the opportunity to get both parties in a room and say, okay, now how can we work this out? Mm -hmm. So it gives the tenant an opportunity to learn how to advocate for themselves. And it gives the landlord an opportunity to say, okay, well, this is why they probably did not pay their rent on time. And it's not that they didn't want to pay, but this happened this is how they were impacted Mm -hmm. let me see if this is something that we can work out instead of saying okay you know what i'm just going to go and file an eviction so it gives both parties an opportunity to start that communication and a lot of times for our families it's not knowing how to effectively communicate Mm -hmm. and then you know the landlords not really knowing how to effectively communicate Yeah.
0: yeah We're going to dive deeply, more deeply into homelessness and and more theoretical, philosophical discussion here in a minute. But let's first take a break for a sponsor. Difference Makers is brought to you today by the Savannah Brunch Festival. There's no shortage of great breakfast spots in this town. And the Brunch Festival allows you to sample all of them in one spot. And enjoy Corbell mimosas, especially Bloody Mary cocktails. And live entertainment as well. The second annual event is scheduled for October the 6th at the Grand Prize Park on Hutchison Island. Listeners to this podcast get 33% off the advanced ticket price by visiting com backslash brunch hyphen festival and entering the promo code Difference Makers. That's a full afternoon of fun for just $10 a ticket. Here's with Katrina Bostic, Executive Director of Family Promise. Let's dive a little deeper now into homelessness and that obviously has become a pretty uh, hot topic here locally in, in recent months. And th- the interesting thing that, that I've learned in, in speaking with you is that homeless. what does homelessness really look like? I think we all have a certain perception in our mind, whether it's a misperception or not. But from your perspective, being in the, in the trenches every day, what does homelessness look like and what does it not?
1: What homelessness does not look like is people who don't want to work. I think there's a a big misconception of, you know, the majority of the homeless people, especially in our community, they don't want to work, they're lazy, Um, they want to live off the system. And from what I've seen and what, you know, I've seen just this year and the last year since I've been over the organizations, these families want to work. These adults want to work but they have barriers and those barriers oftentimes prevent them from maintaining a job Um, and they are excited about working they enjoy working but like i said when they when those barriers impact their life a lot of times they're not able to bounce back from it. Mm-hmm. So homelessness is not individuals who don't want to work or who want to live off of the system.
0: Mm-hmm. It's not all the panhandlers. It's and not the all the panhandlers the and, and the people
1: that are in the camps. That's just a small snippet of of what homelessness is. For me, homelessness is children. Mm-hmm. Those voiceless um, individuals who did not ask to be here. And now they're thrown in adult situations that they have to deal with that is, you know, essentially impacting our entire community because now we have children who have nowhere to go. They have no no parental supervision because mom and dad are trying to work to provide, you know, a stable home for them, a stable life for them. So it's not something that um, should be overlooked, you know, they don't have a voice. They can't vote. They cannot vote. Mm-hmm. They don't have an income. So, when we have conversations about the homeless population in our community, I think it's very important that we understand that you know children need to be brought to the to the to the forefront. They need to be talked about um, because homeless children will be homeless adults. Right. And if we're trying to decrease the number of homeless individuals that we have in our community, we have to start with the children.
0: Right, and I believe that's generational. It is homelessness, right? Is
1: generational homelessness,
0: and trying to to draw the line between what is situational homelessness mm-hmm. and generational homelessness. Mm-hmm. Where does where does that where does that diverge? I guess is the
1: so generational question. homelessness um, are families that have had bouts of generation of of homelessness, you know, as children, Mm -hmm. and as teens, Mm -hmm. and now as adults, Mm -hmm. they are still fighting to, you know, gain that stability. Mm -hmm. Um, We've had several calls from, you know, referrals from family members, from mothers that were in the program, as, you know, young adults with their children. Now they're calling for their adult children who Mm -hmm. are now homeless. Mm-hmm. So there was a disconnect in, you know, what happened 20 years ago, because we've been around about 20 years, right. but um, what has happened in the last 20 years to where this family is still having bouts with homelessness, right. what did not change in their situation. Right.
0: The majority, though, is, is more the situational homelessness. Yes. How, how precarious, I guess, a lot of us don't realize how precarious life is if you are living near Poverty line, yeah, correct? If you're living
1: near poverty line. Um, statistics have shown that you know most families are four hundred dollars away from becoming homeless. For a lot of our families, that's a half a paycheck. Mm-hmm. So if, for instance, I get paid weekly mm-hmm. and I depend on those forty hours a week, but I have a sick child that's out for three days, mm-hmm. those three days could determine whether or not I'm able to pay my rent next month. Right. Um, a lot of times. Especially with two-parent households, we've had families to come into our program, um, and these are professional families. These are not families who don't have a GED. These are families that are in the medical field. Um, We've had social workers come through our program. We've had nurses come through our program. We've had educators come through our program, so it's not um, individuals who are in that are living in poverty, but these individuals have had situations to come against that they've been faced with that has caused them to have a bout with homelessness. We've had individuals that have transferred to our area with a job, and once they got here, the job may have fallen through, Mm -hmm. and they've exhausted all of their resources. Their savings is gone because they've been living in hotels, and that would cause them to come into our program. Mm-hmm. So families that come, you know, into the Family Promise program, they have, they come several different ways. Um, it's not just individuals living in poverty. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: So we see or hear a lot of different approaches to dealing with homelessness in mm-hmm. this town, whether it's, it's, it's tiny houses or expanding shelters or, or programs like Family Promise. Mm-hmm. And I know that, just recently, there was a poverty summit, mm-hmm. and I, I'm guessing that maybe they don't have, uh, for all their well intentions, that they're missing some things mm-hmm. in terms of they're looking at this. So, what maybe could be done in order to get uh, to to address this more efficiently?
1: I think it's important when we are talking about a specific population, that that population has a voice Mm -hmm. in what's being said, Mm -hmm. and what policy is being made, and how money is being spent, Mm -hmm. and what services they really want. Mm -hmm. Um, Oftentimes, um, and you know, Family Promise is guilty of it as well, we create programs with the best intentions, Mm -hmm. and we get upset when individuals don't show up because Mm -hmm. we're giving them a product that they don't want. So it's important when we look at programming that we are creating programming that our families want Mm -hmm. to satisfy their needs. Because to create programs to satisfy my needs is not going to be beneficial for somebody else. Mm -hmm. So we need to have them at the table. They need to be at the table. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when policy is being made about the homeless population – Somebody from the homeless community should be there to say, no, this is actually what we need. You know, um, we want to stay in our camps or whatever the case may be, but... and this is our choice but this is what we need you know once a month we need for x y and z to happen um or we want to have more financial classes we but we need to make sure that those financial classes are conducive to our work schedules you know we need to have um accessible times you know if we're working it from eight to five and agencies are open from eight to five how are we able to get those resources I can't take time off of my my job because then Mm -hmm. my income is impacted. Mm -hmm. So we Mm -hmm. need as agencies to be more flexible and to make sure that when we're making decisions about the population that we're serving, that they're at the table.
0: Right. And I know that there are some that, for whatever reason, maybe want to Mm -hmm. stay in the camps Mm -hmm. or in their current situation. And uh, I guess who are we to say – no, that's not acceptable right how do we how do we balance that
1: um that's probably more of a policy issue right. but you know mm-hmm. they have a choice
0: yeah
1: we all have options you know my option is to stay in a house my and someone else's option is to stay in a camp mm-hmm. um i don't think Putting someone in a house, like I said earlier, to put an individual in a house that, they, that doesn't want to be there, um, it doesn't serve a purpose for them or for anyone else. So um, I think we need to uh, assess each individual case by case, you know, if they choose to stay in the camp then that's their choice. But if they stay in a camp, these are the parameters that you have. Mm-hmm. This is what needs to happen if this is where you choose to stay. If you want to get into a house, then let's see about you know how we can transition you into a house. But I don't think, um, to my knowledge, there are not any laws that says you cannot live in a camp.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. So as a community, I- we talked about making sure that they have a voice mm-hmm. in things. What can we as a community who maybe individually want to help? Where where do we start? What do we have to have first in order to help with the homeless situation?
1: I think the first step is um, to have an empathetic heart, mm-hmm. to understand that we all have different paths, and my path is going to be completely different from yours. Mm-hmm. But to understand that whatever my path is, it might be by choice it might not be you know it may be or be not by choice but to understand that this is my path and if you can't help me don't hurt me
0: right mm-hmm. right from there time talent treasure
1: time talent treasure um one of the things that I think about when I think about our families um in order for them to move from out of poverty they have a. they, they need to have an opportunity mm-hmm. And they need to be around individuals that look different from them, that sound different, that talk different, that have a different socioeconomic background. Because if that's where, if that's their next step, if they are trying to bridge their way out of poverty, then they need to change the landscape of of their their life and what they're looking at and the things that, um, that are surrounded um, by them. So for... Community, for our community, I think it's important that we get out of our solos Mm -hmm. and we actually see what is actually happening in Savannah and how lives are being impacted and how if you take a child and you see a child and you show a child something different, that at some point, that child will do something different, but in order for families to do something different, they have to be exposed to something different.
0: Yeah, because the easiest thing is probably to, to drop off clothes or yep. buy some dry food and drop it off at the shelter, it but is. and that's obviously a very good thing to do, very welcome. It is. But a little bit more engagement probably would go
1: a lot more engagement would would go very far. Um, you know, and I think about you when I. When I think about it, it's like learning a a foreign language. Mm -hmm. You know, I could learn French or Spanish, you know, fluently. But if no one around me speaks that language, how do I cultivate? Who do I talk to? I don't have anyone to talk to, so I'll lose it. So when children and adults learn different skills, they need to be around individuals who are doing the same thing for the skill that they're learning so that they can cultivate that skill. And children need an opportunity to learn how to cultivate that skill. So spending time with the family um, to show them something different, to show them you know, how it may be different on, or you may live different on the island or on the south side or anything like that. Um, they need that. They need that exposure and they need that exposure outside of the school system. Mm-hmm. They may get it in the school system, and they may not. But we, they need to see that exposure, get that exposure outside of the school system, and that's what I, that's what I believe makes Family Promise so unique. Our families are able to get that exposure um, outside of the school system.
0: To learn more about Family Promise, you go to the website.
1: We have a um, yep. You can always uh, go to our website, which is FamilyPromiseSavannah.org. Um, we also have a Facebook page. We have a LinkedIn page, and um, you can always stop by our day center. <laughs>
0: That's right. That's right. Well, Katrina, thanks for coming in. It's it's been it's it's been really a lot of very educational and a lot of fun. Thank you. And uh, we wish you all the best in your endeavors.
1: Thank you. And, Thank you.
0: Uh, look forward to to down the road checking back in with you.
1: Oh, sounds great. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Difference Makers Podcast, a production of the Savannah Morning News and savannahnow.com. We post a new episode every other Friday, and it's available on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We also publish a daily news and opinion podcast called The Afternoon Commute. Search for The Commute with that Savannah Opinion and subscribe to our podcast today.